You know, some men are, well, I don't know what other word to use. They're, they're, they're just blowhards. Is that true? I mean, there are some people that you look at and you talk to, and they're just, they're always ranting and raving, and they're upset about this, they're upset about this, uh, about that, and I don't like the way you are doing this, I don't like the way that you aren't doing that, and, and you just look at them and say, man, why, why, why are you angry all the time? You, 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 do, do you know people like that? Social media is full of people like that. I could show you several examples of people that I just want to say, man, are you mad at the whole world all the time? Because, because they seem to be. And here's the truth. Those people are easy to ignore. Those people are easy to ignore. You discount them. If somebody's got, got, got it turned up to 10 all the time, they probably don't really have much of my attention. Jesus was not a blowhard. Now that may be the understatement of the day, but, but I want us, to, I want us to, to get it to understand a clear picture of Jesus was one who was meek and humble and lowly. And every time somebody, every time someone wants to turn it up to 10, every time somebody wants to fight or somebody wants to start a fight, wasn't it Jesus that was always calming the situation? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's difficult if, if you only have a, a, a surface read of, of the pages of, of, of the New Testament. It's hard to think about Jesus as being much more than a pacifist. That's who he was. You, you, you think about just, just, just a few verses, for, for example. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 39, I tell you not to resist an evil person. Is this a command? Is this a command? Shake your head up and down. This is what Jesus says. If you're going to be my, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be my, my child in this world, I'm telling you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, you finish it. Turn to him the other. In Luke chapter 9, there were people that were rude and disrespectful of Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus, even as he was on his way to die for them. And, and, and James and John, they say, we ought to call down thunder on these people. We ought to let them know who, who it is that they're being disrespectful to. And the text says in Luke 9 and verse 55 that Jesus turned and he rebuked them. And said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. There in the garden, when the soldiers will come to arrest Jesus, and they will come with their swords and their clubs, and they're coming there to arrest Him, and what's going to lead to the, to the crucifixion of Jesus and the disciples stand up and they're ready to fight for their Lord. And, and, and one of them cuts off the ear of Malchus. 
Jesus says in Luke 22 and verse 51, no more of this. That might be something good for us just to put into our vocabulary whenever we see people fussing and fighting and arguing and escalating everything to ten. It might be a good opportunity just to look at your own brother and say, no more of this. Can you not behave any better than this? And he touched his ear and he healed him. And even as Jesus hung on the cross, even as people spit in his face and they put nails in his hands and a crown of thorns upon his head, and he bore the burden of the sin of all the world, sin that he did not commit. Do you remember what he had to say? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Peter would say it like this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And that's just a small sampling of who Jesus was. And who Jesus calls us to be. If you weren't challenged by those scriptures we just read, you probably didn't listen to the scriptures that we just read. Because they challenge every part of this thing called flesh that we live as a part of. Jesus shows us a different way. So, so when He gets upset, so when He turns it up to ten, so when Jesus becomes angry, you better listen. You better listen. And you better try to understand, what is this that has Jesus so upset? I'm not talking about the, the, the guy who's always up here at level 10. I really am not so concerned about, about what upsets him. The answer is everything when he doesn't get his way. He's a child. But when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, cleanses the temple, I want to know. I want to know what caused that. So open up your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 2. Still very early in, in the ministry of Jesus. And, and he finds himself doing something that, that was quite a common thing for him to do. He finds himself going to Jerusalem for the Passover. Jesus went to the Passover every year of his life. This is one of those three major festivals where, where all Jewish men and most Jewish families would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Do you have those things that you, you just do this? This is what your family does. This is just where you go at this time of year. Well, well take that and, and, and ratchet that up and by the very will of God. When it comes time for Passover, if you're a faithful Jew, you're going to Jerusalem. It, it, we, we have the Feast of Passover. We have Pentecost, Right? 50 days after Passover. That's why we read about this in Acts chapter 2. And then we have the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are our three major Jewish feast days. Well, Passover in particular is a feast that is designed to memorialize when the Lord passed over the people of, uh, the, the people of Israel. When God delivered them from, from the Egyptians and from the ten plagues. In particular, that tenth plague. 
And you remember when they would eat of that Passover meal there in Egypt and they would spread the blood upon their door. And that night, the, 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 the death angel made his way made his way to that land, and the firstborn in every, in every home died on that night. And there was great wailing in all of Egypt, except in the homes of those that had observed the Passover. And God was telling the people, I don't ever want you to forget the way that God has delivered us. I want you to remember we might, think some, we might find some similarities even to the observance of the Lord's Supper. God says, I want you to remember. But how could we forget? I do not know, but I know that man has, has a tendency to forget even the most precious things in his life. And so, once a year, they would make their way to Jerusalem. It's in Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. When, when Jesus was left behind at the temple... You remember, and they find him amongst the scribes and amongst the teachers, and Jesus says to us, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Well, the text says there in Luke 2, they were in Jerusalem for the Passover. And so there they are in the temple. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and everyone goes to this place, to the temple. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Josephus says that, that during a, a normal Passover that there probably would have been close to a quarter of a million animal sacrifices that would have been, that would have been carried out there in the temple in Jerusalem. 250,000 animals that's a lot of blood. That's a lot of flesh. That's a lot of, that's a lot of livestock, right? So, so, so to understand, it would have looked very different than coming into this auditorium this morning in, in, a, very, in a very formal sort of way. We're talking about, a, a, in many ways, a, a, very, a very dirty thing, right? There's, it's, it's just, if you're going to slaughter an animal, it's just a dirty thing. A quarter of a million the, the, the people would have been gathered in, into what, uh, what, what is on your left-hand side, that, that, that large open area that we would think of as the court of the Gentiles or the court of the nations. You can see in the middle, if you remember from your understanding of the Old Testament, the, 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 the holy place and then the most holy place. Those are places that most, most people were never allowed to go into, in particular the, the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest was allowed to go, and even once a year at that. But, but the people would still come to the temple. People go into, into Jerusalem today, and they, and they gather at the walls of the temple. Well, this is, this is an approximation of that, of, that sort of, uh, of that sort of structure. And so th th there were people here. Estimates are difficult, but estimates anywhere from 200,000 all the way up to 200, all the way up to 2 million people who would have packed into, would have packed into Jerusalem. And, and whatever the number is, the point is, there were a mass of people that were there. Have you ever been in a setting like that where there are just people that are everywhere? Uh, Beth, you like to go to Disney on holidays, right? And you can go down to you can go down to Disney, the Magic Kingdom, and what are there? There are people everywhere. 
right? You kind of packed in there like sardines, and you say, and I wouldn't be anywhere else. Well, that's what the Jews are saying, right? There are people everywhere, but, but I wouldn't be anywhere else. I thought about yes weekend, and, and you know, n- next week, uh, it's not just in the auditorium where it's going to be full, but, but even out in the foyer. And we, we, listen, we have the largest foyer of any congregation in the whole world, maybe. Uh, I think that may be an accurate statement. I mean, it's huge. But yes, weekend, what's going to happen? It's going to be packed, right? And, and, and it's hard to get around, and you're bumping into people, and you're seeing all these people that some of them you know and some of them that you don't because there are people that have come from all over and people that are coming from all over there into the city of, of Jerusalem to worship God and to make their sacrifices. So in order to make sacrifices, you have to have a sacrifice, so there are people that, that, that are filling that place, and, well, they're selling animals. They're selling animals in that place. It's really something that we would expect to see. Because one thing that doesn't travel very well are animals, right? If, if you're coming from the Far East, if, 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 if you're coming, if you're coming uh, from, from Africa, uh, you, you might go and read in Acts chapter 2 uh, where all of the pilgrims were from there on the day of Pentecost. And what you find is it's all, it's all over the world, right? It wasn't like they were coming from, from Hayhira to, to Valdosta. It was a lot more than that. They, 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 were, they were coming, they were walking, they, they were bringing their carts, and they were bringing their families, they, they were call coming to Jerusalem. And so I'm coming there to make a sacrifice, but I can't bring Bessie the cow all the way from Egypt, so what I can do is I can come and I can bring money to purchase that animal. And so that's why they, there would be livestock that, 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 that would be there. You would also expect for there to be money changers. Uh, if you've ever done any... If you've ever done any foreign travel, uh, you know that one of the things you have to do is, is to exchange money. And we're a little bit spoiled because of the dollar being, being the standard of the day and being accepted in so many places. But I'm going to tell you, when people come to here from other countries, when people come from Panama to the United States, you know what they got to do? They better exchange some money. Because I've got some Panamanian money at my house, and they won't take it at Wendy's. Okay. Well, the standard of the day there was what was Roman money. But many people, many people believe that, that, that to pay the temple tax with Roman money, to make an offering to God with, with an image of the Roman Caesar on it, they would even equate that almost as a sinful thing. Now, don't go down this road that they actually used money that had pagan gods instead. People's inconsistencies, uh, kind of an interesting study. But, but they would come and they would exchange their money in those places. Leon Morris said of, of, these, uh, of, these, of these vendors and these money changers, he said that they performed a very useful and even necessary function. So Jesus comes into this place and there are people that are everywhere and, and, and there, there, is, there is oxen and sheep and doves and money changers that, 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 are doing, that, that are doing their business there. And Jesus, the embodiment of peace and humility, does something that no one would expect. The text says Jesus made a whip of cords. And he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the the changers' money and overturned the tables. 
And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. He creates a whip and he drives those animals out of the temple. Do you remember uh, back in the day? This is probably 30 years ago now, but it was really trendy. We would say, uh, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And I don't, I've never seen anybody wearing the wristbands today, but it's still a really great question to ask. But understand that when you ask that question, that the turning over of tables is a possibility. Because that's what he did. That's what he did. Interesting to me, it says, it says that, 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 that he drove out these animals, and then he spoke specifically. We, we don't know what he said to, many, to anybody else, but he, but he said to those who sold the doves, take these things away. Now the question is, well, why, why did he speak to the people that were selling doves? Well, because you can't drive doves out with a whip, right? And it kind of helps me a little bit in my, in my mind. I, 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 I never really... The idea that Jesus was like whipping people with this whip, I've really struggled with that. I don't think that's really what he's saying at all. I think he's driving the animals out. I think we're creating a stampede here, right? You're talking about the sheep and the oxen, and you want to get them to move. You can get them to move with that whip. And the doves, and you people, you people get your doves out of here too. This incident is recorded in all four of the Gospels. In, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? They're very similar. Those John is John is different. But but in the Synoptic Gospels, we we have this cleansing of the temple that goes on at the end of his ministry, or or as he comes into Jerusalem for that for that Passion Week. But here, here we have it at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and and there's some debate about are we talking about. Are we talking about two different cleansings of the temple, or are we just talking about one cleansing of the temple? And some people would, would make the argument that John is not really trying to give a chronological understanding of the ministry of Christ. I, I, I doubt that uh, in terms of what's going on here. It makes more sense to me that there are two different cleansings of, of, of the temple. Either way, you guys can debate that at lunch. I don't know that I have the answer. I don't know that we can know the answer to those things. Either way, either way, he's dealing with the same issues. He's dealing with the same issues that are plaguing the people. Over in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 13, he says to them as he drives them out of the temple, which, listen, if this is the second time that he's done this in his life, if this is the second time that he's done this in three to four years, um, it even, I'd have even more significance, right? But he says to them in Matthew 21 and verse 13, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers or of thieves. You see, these people were doing something very dishonest in order to take from others. All under the guise of service and resources. All under the guise of, I'm going to actually help people to worship God. I'm going to facilitate the worship of God. What they were really doing was that they were exploiting these pilgrims' devotion. Charging exorbitant prices. Charging money that people ought not have had to pay. And their motive, their motive was profit and personal gain. 
instead of facilitating the worship of Yahweh. And at its best, they were twisting, they were twisting worship into a business opportunity. At worst, they are hostile to God and wickedly greedy. Either way, they are robbing the people of their money and God of the glory that He is due. They were using the temple. They were using the temple of God as cover for their own illicit activities. This is not new. This is not new. You remember we think about um, things that were going on in Jewish society uh, where they would declare their, their resources as Corban. You know, one of the things that is as at the core of what it means to be a Christian is to be someone who provides for their parents. Christians take care of their parents. Christians do what they can to provide for their... The, the Bible says that if you do not provide for your own, and that's in the context of caring for widows, okay, in, in Paul's letter to Timothy, if you do not provide for your own, you are what? Worse than an unbeliever. So this is a core foundational principle. But they created this idea of Corban. Mark chapter 7, verse 11 through 13. If a man says to his mother or father or mother, well, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban. That is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do. Jesus says, I'm just giving you one of many. But it seems to me that you've created this idea that I don't really want to. I don't really want to sacrifice of my own resources to help my mother or to help my father. And so what we'll do is we'll call it Corbin. Well, I plan on one day giving that to the church. So it's kind of like uh, Mike is kind of like putting money over here, right? And we're just going to label it over here as if it's committed, but it's not really committed. But it gets me out of out of doing this godly thing. They were using religious things spiritual things as cover as cover for illicit things i can remember several years ago um there was a lot of uh, multi-level marketing sales i don't know if you ever done any of those things or maybe you've had someone try try to sell you some things but but we, we had a lot of that going on in the church everybody was everybody was selling something right be careful you get a friend request on Facebook of somebody you hadn't seen in a long time. Oh man, this is great to, to reconnect. And then 30 seconds later, they're trying to sell you something um, that I probably don't need in the first place. But, but, but there was, th- there was this, this thing that was being sold. And I remember somebody came to me and they, they tried to sign me up, right? They, they, they wanted me kind of in, in their pyramid and, and they really wanted me. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm not a salesman. I really don't have any passion about this product. I really would like to get out of this conversation as soon as possible. But you're not letting me go. And they kept talking. And sometimes when people, when people keep talking, they, they say things that, that they don't mean to say. And I'll never forget this, that, 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 that they said to me, they said, you, me, Wes, they said, you would be really good at this. Because you have a lot of influence over a lot of people. And I just remember thinking, 
you want me to use the spiritual influence that I have in people's lives to sell your junk? To make a few dollars? Now, I told him, I said, yeah, and if I did this, I wouldn't have any influence, right? But, but, but that, that, that's what I think of when I, when I think of the, the mentality that is there, that, that, that someone is missing, they're missing the, the spiritual and all that they're seeing in this, in this time of God's people coming together to worship and praise and memorialize, all that they're seeing is an opportunity. An opportunity to make a buck. An opportunity to get something out of somebody else. See, the problem, the problem was with their attitude. This isn't new. It's really not even all that old. Because man has always and probably will always deal with these things. You remember in the prophet Isaiah? In Isaiah chapter 1. In Isaiah chapter 1. You're going to find that in the Bible. It's the big one in the Old Testament. Okay? So just turn your pages until you get there. In Isaiah chapter 1. In verse 11. The prophet Isaiah said, What are your multiplied sacrifices to me? Like you're coming in here and thousands and thousands of, of, of bulls and goats and doves. I've had enough of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? He didn't say who required the sacrifices of you. Who, by the way, what's the answer to that? Who required the sacrifices of the people of Israel? God did. They didn't make this up. They were giving sacrifices because God said make the sacrifices. He's trying to teach them another lesson for another time. What he was asking them, where do you get this idea of what you've turned it into? The trampling of my courts. You've taken something that I intended to be a wonderful thing and you've turned it into a perverted thing. You bring your worthless offerings no more. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate, oh, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me and I'm weary of hearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from, the, from my side and cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Jesus says, if, if you're going to come together and this is what you're going to do, don't even come together. I hate it. I can't stand, I can't listen, I can't listen to another word. I can't, I can't be in the presence of another, of another goat or another lamb that's slaughtered because you're trampling my courts. Go in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul's talking about the observance of a Lord's Supper. See, we, we live in this world. We live in this world where, well, isn't it good that at least they're going somewhere? We live in this world where Anything called worship, we think, should have God's approval. But that world is a world that exists only in our minds. Because over and over in the biblical text, God is saying, 
There, there's a difference in true worship and worthless worship. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and, and, ver, and verse 17, this verse, it's highlighted in my Bible because it stands out to me. He says, this is about the Lord's Supper and the perversion they've done with the Lord's Supper. He says, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. Man, it sure was good, sure was good uh, to see Daniel at church this morning. He says, uh, none of that. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not giving you praise. Why? It's kind of weird, right? I'm glad to see you this morning, Daniel, right? You're glad to see me, right? But, but it, God says, no, this is different. Because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. You're coming together. You're going to all the trouble of getting up out of bed and coming together on the first day of the week to be, to be with the church. Thank you for that. I'm glad that you're here. But what we might say, it was good to be, I am better for having been there this morning. Right? We all get that sort of terminology. He says to them, uh, no, you're worse off for having been there. You'd be better off if you stayed home in bed. You came together for the worse. Doesn't that just sound weird? It sounds kind of weird to me because I'm filtering this through my brain. That's one reason I'm struggling with some of what Jesus is doing here. We're going into the temple. The problem is that this attitude that is there, on and on we could go. Listen, Jesus, Jesus is saying there's a problem here. There's a problem with what is going on and what is motivating these things. Guys, th- th- this, is, this, is about, this, is about, this is about why they were doing these things. So his disciples, his, his disciples said in John 2 and verse 17, they remembered that it was written. So they're sitting back watching this, right? They're like, whoo. You guys ever see somebody get real upset? And you're just like, I'm just going to take a step back here. Just going to watch, fly on the wall. That ever happened to you? Maybe at home, <laughs> right? Maybe at home, right? It's like, what, what comes into their mind? What comes into their mind is that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. It's a quotation from Psalm 69 and verse 9. Where David writes about his relationship with God. And he says, because zeal for your house, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. See, the problem is not, the problem is not, these people are disrespecting me. The problem is, these people are disrespecting my father. That's this understanding of righteous indignation. Uh, Very seldom have I seen uh, what I would describe as righteous indignation. I've seen a lot of indignation. I've seen a lot of angry people, even in the church, especially in the world. But typically, whenever you see those things, people are torn up because somebody disrespected them. You said that to me. You failed to recognize me. Get over it. Get over it. Righteous indignation. What what we see here in the temple is that Jesus is saying, how can you speak? How can you act? How, How can you come before my Father in that way? 
I feel pain, not because I'm being dishonored, but because he's being dishonored. One of my favorite definitions of spiritual maturity is to come to that place where you love the things that God loves and you hate the things that God hates. It's not just a list of thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that. I want to understand that I, I don't, I want to praise and bring glory to God, and I don't want to be disrespectful to my God. I want you to acknowledge the one and true Creator. Why, why do I want you to be here this morning? Do I just want you to be here this morning because I want you to be here this morning? If so, that's pretty shallow. I want you to be here this morning. I want another hundred folks here this morning, because, or another, two, another thousand people here this morning, because I want people to praise and worship my God who is worthy. Why am I so bothered by sin in the world and in my own life? Because it's wrong? Well, I understand that sin is wrong, but at the end of the day, the problem is it disrespects God. It disrespects my Father. Jesus was standing up for his father. That's what set him off. When was the last time that we stood up for God? When was the last time? And I mean, you've got to answer that question. I've got to answer that question. There is that danger, that danger that we sit down very peacefully and politely at tables that Jesus would have flipped over. And I think we've got to think about that. And that doesn't mean that, that every table is a table that's worth flipping over. That's another problem, right? This is rare in the life of Jesus. But, but, but brethren, if it's rarer in, in our lives than it is in the life of Jesus, there might be a problem. Tell me, tell me about those things that are pleasing to God and those things which are an assault to his name. And so the Jews answered and they said, remember, they're the ones at the receiving end of this. What sign do you show us? What sign, what, what, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? What sign? What's, I mean, they're saying, I mean, okay, obviously you're upset. Well, what, what gives you the right to be upset? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 4? A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. See, when they asked for a sign, they didn't come as these, as these honest, sincere seekers. That was the problem to begin with. They didn't come as these honest and, the, and the, these, these sincere speakers. It, this, was, this was a dodge. This was a deflection. You ever had those conversations? Most of us have probably been on both sides of those conversations. And someone, someone will say something and it cuts right to our heart. Well, now let's go over here and let's talk about this. You ever try to, try to have a Bible study with somebody and you're in the heart of the gospel and you're in the heart of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them and the sacrifice that he's, that, that he's given for them? And they say, well, now what about instrumental music? I mean, okay, it's a topic, right? But, but let's, 
Why are you trying to get away from this? That's what these people are doing. Always a reason to avoid the truth. There are people who have walked away from the church. People that have walked away from the church all because they won't sit down and ask the question, so what does the Bible say? Where does the evidence lead? They don't want that question. They want to play games. They want to, they want to deflect. Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not playing those games. I, 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 in my life, I've, I've been played before. <laughs> I've been played by people in the church and outside the church. And one of the things that it takes a little bit of maturity to, to understand is to come to this place where you say, you ain't playing me no more. But you've got to have some understanding of who you are. You've got to have some understanding of what you believe and why you believe it. Jesus said, he says, you're only asking because you're trying to cover up your own wickedness, your own adultery. No sign. Oh, I will, there will be one sign. The sign of, of the prophet Jonah. Jesus answered and said to them in John 2, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, by the way, we're reading these things from backwards, right? We, we, we memorialize the death, the burial, and the resurrection. They'd not seen these things yet, right? The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus is going to make this appeal to the resurrection. They thought he was talking about the building. They thought he was talking about not just the building. They thought he was talking about the temple, which even in this time wasn't even completed. He wasn't talking about that. He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about eternity. You see, you thought that it was about insignificant things. But it was about something so much more important. You think that worship is about this and that and all of, all, and all of, these, and all of these outward things. It's not. Worship is about coming before the creator of the universe. That, but that's not what you came here to do. And that really made him mad. You came with a lot of reasons, but did you come here to worship God? Do you understand what he's saying is the same attitude, the same attitude that has you thinking that coming to the temple is all about a social gathering where you're going to make a, where you're going to make a buck and you're going to have an investment in this place? Do you understand this, that that's the same attitude that is here with us today that's going to destroy me? That's what he's saying to the people. Now, they didn't get this, okay? They would get it later. They would do the math later. We're able to do the math today. That's our benefit. And, and it's, not, it's not just this point that we apply to them. It's this understanding for us because we know the temple doesn't exist today in Jerusalem. Where is the temple of God? Where is the dwelling place of the Spirit today? Well, you're looking at it. It's right here. It's right there. It's, it's in the flesh of every child of God. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So, so if we take what's going on in Jerusalem, and we, and we take that forward 2,000 years to the year 2022, and we, and we ask this question of, well, what about in my heart? What about in my soul? What if Jesus showed up here this morning? What if Jesus showed up here? Sometimes we have visitors to, to our services and I'll ask them, so what did you see? I'm curious. I know what we see. I know what we want to be. But I want to know what outsiders think. What if Jesus was one of those people? What would he see? What if Jesus came and he sat down right next to you on your pew? Like a child watching you. What would he see? I see things from up here sometimes. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know that? Like I see things. I can't help it, right? I mean, I have two eyes. What if he was up in the, in the crow's nest up there? Hubby, Hubby and Al are up there right now. They see things, right? Not just like balding heads uh, from, from, from the back, but, but, but this idea of what, what if Jesus were just to observe us? What if Jesus were out in the foyer during our worship service? What would he see? And here's the thing. He is here. He is here. And He's more than here. He's more than in this space. He's in our hearts and in our souls. What if Jesus were to come into the temple and He knows what is in our mind? Would He be pleased? Or would he cleanse the temple? I think that's a question we all have to ask when we read this. And, and this brings up tons of questions in my mind about exactly what was going on there and exactly what, what he's thinking and what, what, what made this, this so significant. And those are great questions. Let's talk about those at lunch. But you answer that question for yourself. Would he see someone who was here this morning, but yet you've never been born again and he, he knows your reason he knows your story he knows the struggles all those things but yet for whatever reason you have never bowed your knee to his will what if jesus were here this morning in the midst of our worship and, and he was and he was to come and he was to come and say and say why is sin ruling your life why do you refuse to repent why are you so full of yourself why do you think so much of yourself and so little of others? Why do you gossip in the way that you do? Why do you think that you have to bear all the burdens of your life all by yourself? I mean, I don't know what he would say. I don't know what he would see. I know what I want him to see. I want him to see, and I'm talking about me more than I'm talking about you in this moment. But I would want him to see Someone who was truly, genuinely, sincerely here today to worship and bring glory to His name. 
That's what, that's what I'm doing here. I, I probably don't always accomplish that, to be quite honest. But that's what I'm trying to do today. And that's what I won't be satisfied until we accomplish as individuals and as a church and as a people. I want Jesus to come into the house and say, this is my father's house. Blessed be his name. You walk with him as we stand and as we sing.